Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Audacity. Very excited to be back. I think this will be my third week of consistency. Um, I will not back, I won't back down. There's too much to stake. Only real bitches another song reference. Um, but yeah, today my topic is going to be talking about the criminalization of black girls in schools within education. I'm really excited to talk about this. This is something I'm very passionate about. Um, I've always been passionate about it. I took two classes um, in my undergrad that were so impactful to me, um, which was race and mass incarceration, where we discussed the school to prison pipeline, which we'll get into today. Uh, get into today. And then I took urban education. Um, it was a child studies class, and it just confirmed to me that teachers have the ability to make or break the experience of a student of a child and that we have a duty to protect children and make sure that they receive the best education um because i think that education can be impactful i i think back to my own education and i think that's why it's so it's such a passionate issue for me is because I look back at my own education being a black girl and I could see the boxes that teachers would put me in as being disruptive or questioning authority um which are these implicit biases that we have of black girls and it bothered me because I never felt that way I was an inquisitive person I I wanted to learn I liked learning and um I was also an opinionated child and I don't think those are bad things. Like I think that those are perfectly healthy. You're, a kid is learning. They're learning how to exist in the world. They're learning how to be in the world and we have a duty to nurture them and help them through that process and uh, allow for mistakes. But when you're black and when you're a black girl, you don't get a chance for a mistake because the way that you appear both physically, the way that you exist in your behavior and your tone, the way you speak is policed even from a young age, like from three so you don't get many chances to learn how to exist and be in the world as a kid. And you're pushed to, to the fringes of the education system. Um, I'm going to be quoting this book a lot, but in, in uh, Prisons by Any Other Name, the author talks about how education can be used to filter uh, people who are going to be uh, productive in terms of capitalism and those who can't really fit the mold. So they're kind of pushed to the wayside in an educational wasteland. And you can see that some schools are treated like educational wastelands where they have not been deemed or because they're not like in a gifted and talented program or they're not the 5% of their class that they're not going to be great contributors to society. We're, we're imprinting that in, you know, black children but sometimes I think, too, we miss the ways in which that treatment can be uh, treated both gendered and racial at the same time. It's the misogynoir that we're kind of ignoring. Like, yes, racism can affect black people, but it will affect black women in a different way because we are women. We are not just carrying the stereotypes of being a black male. We're carrying the stereotypes of what does black femininity mean and what does being a black woman mean and how do other people view our bodies. So yeah, that is what I'll be talking about today. That was a long-winded way to talk about my topic. Um, I have nothing going on in my personal life, so there's nothing to talk about there, but I am hella excited, or not hella excited. I'm hella glad that I have this space to talk about this. It's something that I just feel like we don't, we don't engage with the ways that in which the, 
institutions harm black women we don't address the misogynoir we kind of just address the racial aspect of it because i'm like and i'm not going into a personal chant whatever but i was just gonna say even in my personal life i'm always having to compromise my black womanness just for my blackness when they're just inextricably linked that's who i am and sometimes it's hard to show up in the space as a black woman and i want to highlight the spaces for me to show up as a black woman, the way that I show up and it's to highlight experiences, um, that happened to us. And we don't talk about, especially like I was reading this really powerful article about how this author who had experienced the being adultified, which we're going to talk about the adultification of black girls, the biases that existed, that she was disruptive in class, um, just because of being a black girl in that space. Um, and, all these stereotypes like she's fast she's a little woman things like that and now that she has a daughter she has to actively stop herself from perpetuating the things that were said to her because I don't know it being a black girl in education is a very isolating thing um and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel good um especially when you're in white spaces, especially when you have teachers who you feel like don't understand you and kind of like, I honestly felt bullied by a lot of my teachers dead ass. Like, and, um, I'm going to my high school reunion and I really want to see this teacher. Cause I want to tell her, I don't, I'll never forget how, like, honestly, I'm not tell. she like brought me to tears with the space that she would put me in. Like we had multiple incidents and I made her cry. like, she, I made her cry. Like she painted me as a villain. I think I was what, 15, 16. And she had painted me as this villain when all I told her is respect my boundaries. Like that's all I asked of her. Like she said some shit to me. Like I remember it was my grade nine year and I was, so I was at a boarding school and I was in my, not not me coming from Miss Marchand's ass, but I was sitting in my room and she came into my room and sat on my bed, didn't ask, was this a time? No, nothing. And said to me, um, was trying to, trying to reprimand me and said like, as your mom. And I said, you're not my mom. My mom's name is Tracy Hurst. Like you're not my mom. And I like, we, and that's when the beef started and she kept verbally attacking me. I'm not even kidding. Like she kept coming at me and she really painted me as the villain. And then the icing on top of the cake was I dealt with four years of this. My, in my last year, I won head of house, which is like, uh, when you think of Harry Potter, it's literally head of house. (laughs) Oh God. It's literally head of house. Like you're being a head of house. And, um, she told me because I told, we got into this argument because this house parent was painting me as the, like, I'm the bad guy Chun-Li, literally, like, literally, I'm the bad guy Chun-Li, with all that emotion, she's, like, I didn't get this email that this girl, this girl named Angel, she lost me being head of house, and she was, a, she was bitter about it, and she didn't send me the email for the duty schedule, I'm not going to get into the minutia, it's not that important, that's just the, what we're talking about, so I didn't see the email because she didn't send it to my school email, and... <laughs> And so Miss Marchand, she's now the head house parent because our other house parent is on maternity leave. So she comes here like she's the big kahuna, like she's going to do something. And she starts getting an argument with me. And I literally said to her, I said this, and I think I'm like thinking to myself, I was, I had to be like wise because knew me wouldn't handle it this way. 
But old me was like, you know what? I'm seeing red right now. I don't really think I can have this conversation with you right now. I'm not in a good space. I like need to walk away. I tell her that and I proceed to walk away. And she says, you don't, are you going to walk away from me? So then I, I turned back around and I said, okay, so I told you that I wasn't ready to have this conversation. So whatever you get at this point is what you're going to get. Cause I told you, I didn't want to have this conversation right now. And it just went left. <laughs> it just went left. And I think I was 17, 18. And no, this is, this might've been my junior year. I'm not sure, but she was bullying me. And she told me, she told me she was going to take away my head of house. So like she was going to take something away from me that I won fair and square that I got like, and I was like, who are you? Like I grew up like my, a lot of my teachers telling me that like I was disruptive and I had a hard time focusing and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, maybe I learned differently. Like maybe you're just, you're, they're attributing it to me as who I am. Like maybe I just learned differently and maybe I engaged differently. And I felt like they like told me like all the time that I had an attitude as a kid. And I said, I, I honestly think I was just really opinionated. And a lot of my education, which is a symptom of what teachers do is they beat you into submission. They turn you into someone that is palatable not the person who you are. And so now, like, as an adult, I have a hard time showing up. And especially because I, I, my college that I went to wasn't great. I have a hard time showing up in spaces um, as, fully who, as fully who I, as I am and saying things I want to say because my whole life I was beat into how I should show up and interact and engage with people and what's palatable and what's appropriate, even if I don't feel that way. Like, even if I don't want to smile right now and I don't want to have a nice tone, like, I don't want to be those things. Like, in school, like, I had to be those things or else, like, we had jugs. Like, you had to clean for 15 minutes. Like, yeah, some teachers don't need to be fucking teachers, man. Uh, uh, that And that's a whole other... <laughs> but... Yeah, also, too, I want to say, like, the high school that I went to, very, like, a very um, hoity-toity, like, I, it's hard because um, it, it was, like, a very fortunate opportunity, but I was just very much that black kid on the outsider who was low-key, who was kind of poor, and everybody else, like, someone used to make fun of me because I was on a scholarship, and I remember, like, I was so ashamed of that. And I remember who that bitch is, too. Like, uh, when I tell you I'm ready for this high school reunion, I'm ready to go back. And not because I'm bitter. I just want to see how the hoes have turned out. Like, some of y'all bitches in high school were kind of rude. Like, and, I, and I'm not bitter. I'm better. But I don't know. Like, I'm kind of excited just to sit back and collect the tea and be an observer. Because I, I was also an observer in high school. So I'm excited to go back and be an observer. Um... Yeah, but back to why I'm extremely passionate about this is just because, yeah, I've had my own battle with receiving a good education. And also, too, I experience imposter, not imposter syndrome, more so, like, I feel guilty because when you're you're hearing about these school to prison pipelines and these people like everybody all these kids need is someone to believe in them 
to believe that's all kids need like and i'm like that's why i'm like you maybe you shouldn't be like i'm not saying all teachers are like this because i've had teachers who i'm excited to talk to like i will never forget every teacher who's ever believed in me like not to get emotional i don't i always get emotional when i talk about this but it's because teachers have always believed in me that I solely believe that that is why I am where I am because a teacher took me in and was like, I'm going to be here for her. I'm seriously not kidding. Like every stage of my education, I found someone, a teacher who has championed me. And because they have championed me, I think that I have succeeded. I'm serious. So all kids need is someone to believe that they are capable, that they can do it and they can do anything. But when you have these systems who are blaming children, because all, and when I say systems, I'm like just talking about like education, the job market, all of these big places, these comp, essentially these companies, big businesses, schools, all these things that are supposed to help us and empower us as citizens. When stuff goes wrong, they blame you like you're the failing to society, not this this thing that was supposed to help you, not this group that was supposed to help you, not this school that was supposed to help you get an education. You blame individuals for something that this system that we've invested in has failed on us, and you're doing it to little kids and then punishing them for being kids. And entering them into a prison system that once you enter into a prison system and you have a, a strike on your record, it's hard to get jobs. So you're expecting you're expecting them to go get jobs or apply to college and all of these things and you're not empowering them, you're not believing in them, that you're not giving them the things they need to be successful. And the thing they really need to be successful is money to hire the proper resources to properly resource these schools with things that they need, not police officers. Oh God, I'm like getting into my topic, but I'm like not police officers, not brain fart, not police officers, like school therapists, school counselors, people to actually uplift them, more teachers, qualified teachers, pay your teachers properly so that they can do everything they need to do for their students. Like it's a fucking disaster. So that's why I'm really passionate about it. I just think that all kids need is, and obviously this is in a perfect world, they need the proper resources, which, duh, and they just need someone to believe in them and to believe that they're smart. But when you have things like uh, No Child Left Behind, which, fuck George Bush until the eternity of life. Like, ugh. Um... (laughs) No Child Left Behind Act that forces standardized testing. So you're trying to get your kids to test. And if they don't test and they fail that grade, that's does what well, that does terrible for their like it just go you just go down all these different rabbit holes of kids are not set up for success. It's a battle to fight for your kid to receive a good education. It's a battle to show up to school and give your all every day, plus whatever you have going on in your outside life. And I'm more so I'm more so speaking about like people in a lower socioeconomic class, students of color, because you all know the more money you have, the more the more access to opportunities, the more privilege you have, more more times, the more time in a day you have. You may not have to get a job after school to help your family pay bills, like things like that. <sighs> Sorry for that. Like, yeah, that was a little all over the place. Um. <laughs> And I kind of got into my topic. So I'm going to hop back out of my topic and then I'm going to talk about some other things. I'm going to jump back in. 
So I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing book reviews if I like have finished a book by the time I record, and I have. It's called People We Meet on Vacation, and it's about two best friends. They meet um their freshman year in college, and they become friends, and they establish this thing called um like they establish like a summer trip every year. They go on a summer trip somewhere together, but they're also like kind of in love with each other too, but it's like a long 12 year saga, but they tell the story. Like it's chaptered by each summer trip that they've gone on in like their 12 years of friendship. And then, um, they get into it on one of their last summer trips. So then it chronicles the present day and how they're about to go on another trip. And can this, you know, can they mend a broken heart? I'll agree. And, um, I thought that the book was really good. Like, I don't want any judgment, like no judgment. Like if you're coming here, we're not judging. Like this is a safe space. Um, I like rom-com books. I was about to spill a secret, but I don't know if I should spill a secret because I don't know. Maybe we'll get there, (laughs) but, um, I love romance books. I love rom-com books. That's like, that's like my feel good genre. Like even that's even my feel good genre of movies. Like if I want to feel good, I will watch last holiday with Queen Latifah. And if you haven't watched it, do yourself a favor. It is one of my favorite movies. And I think Queen Latifah is one of the best actresses ever. And I've said it for years and I'll continue to say it for more. I think Queen Latifah is iconic as fuck. You need to watch last holiday or beauty shop too. Beauty shop is a super feel good for me. Like I love beauty shop. So, yeah, that's typically, like, my genre of, uh, that I really like, and so it was good. I, I liked it, too, because I felt the full breadth of emotions. Like, I cried, I laughed, I got, like, I got my heart swelled, like, seriously, like, I was invested in this story, and I had to finish it. Like, I literally sat down on my couch in the middle of my house cleaning, and I was like, I have to finish this book. It's just, it's weighing heavy on my mind. And I also cried ugly tears like I did in The Fault in Our Stars, which I remember being in my bed just bawling after I read that. Like, that book got me so good. It was so sad. Um, and also, it feels really good to be back reading. Like, I'm I'm back in my book bag. That's a joke. <laughs> that was a joke. Book bag, like, hope you get it. The girls that get it, get it. The girls that don't, don't. Um... But I am back reading, and it feels really good. I haven't. I used to be like an avid reader in middle school, um, and I think I, I won our school's reading competition. I think I read like 300, 400 books in a year. Like I was a heavy reader. I helped my. So we would all. If you're from Portland, if you read the most books, your class read the most books, and you would get a trip to Powell's bookstore, and they would give you ten dollars, which. It was on that trip that I discovered my favorite book series ever, and they were on Hell of Cell, so I got three of them, and it's the Mortal Instruments series. No judgment on that either. Like, if you know, don't judge, whatever. But yeah, so like, I carried my team, I carried my class to the Pals Bookstore trip. I just want to say that. So, <laughs> or what if I'm just reimagining history? That could also be true. I think this is the case, but I also could be rewriting history. And if so, I apologize. Um, (laughs) Anyways, so yeah, it feels good to be reading. One thing I like about reading is you can just like, one thing I love about movies too, you can just go to a whole new world and feel a whole new fantasy and just be involved in something else. 
Um, and so, yeah, I highly recommend that book. Okay, so now I'm just going to do a quick, like, this is not going to be long, but I just have to get off my chest. Did I really have to, though? I, don't, I feel like I do. Fully having a conversation with myself, but um, <laughs> I kind of want to talk about this Ukraine stuff. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preface it this way. Or I'm not going to preface it. I'm just going to say it this way. No. I think that war is bad. I hate what's happening. I don't. I think that innocent people should not be going through that. I don't think anybody should be going through that. Not even innocent people. I think that people should not be going through this. It is awful. Like, I have no words. My heart breaks. And at the same time, my heart also breaks for Swana and Mena countries who have been terrorized by U.S. sanctioned and funded violence. Um, my heart breaks for what's happening with Palestinians, uh, with Afghanistan refugees, so with Syrian refugees. Like, it, my heart breaks, really, there. Like, super breaks. And it's crazy to see... It's not crazy because we know why it's happening. But to see so much of the global, uh, so much global empathy going towards white victims of war um, and the willingness of the U.S. to stop like the or U.S. companies and the U.S. to either sanction Russia or companies can start deciding to stop working with Russia, completely cutting their services off completely. I find that to be really weird. Um, when example, like when example, when we're talking about Palestine, Israel, the only person who's really, the only company that's really said anything is, um, Ben and Jerry's, <laughs> an ice cream company. And then you have the U S continuing to fund and send like resources to Israel. So I'm like, eh, that's like a little weird. Um, it's, it's just like everybody, not only like white people or white victims of war are not the only people who deserve empathy and sympathy and resources. Um, but they're the only ones who really get it when there have been so many victims of us violence as well, um, who are of color and who need help and who need resources and it's a blind eye and they don't give a fuck. It just is what it is. So that's what I want to say. I, I think it's nuance. Like, I feel like nuance is the word, like it's, it's taking over narrative. Like narrative was like the word of like the buzzword of the past and now it's nuanced. But I do think that there's a lot, there's some things are black and white, white supremacy, bad, bad. Okay. That's pretty black and white. Like that's pretty black and white, but there are other things that require nuance, um, and that are multifaceted and have different sides to the story. And, Multi, like a lot of I think too a lot of things can be true at once and you kind of it's hard to exist in that space where multiple things can be true at once when we're really conditioned to think black and white okay period so now we're going to be talking about the UK <laughs> I, I have never ever tried an accent I just know I would be bad because my mouth just doesn't move like that okay so I, I want to give a little story. I'm, I, I have a story within a story, so it's going to be like try to follow. So I'm going to first talk about kind of my topic of this episode, the criminalization of black girls in education. Um, and there'll be a little sub story about what's going on with the, the UK currently. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. Get into it. Yeah. Okay. 
So what sparks this discussion on the pod yet again, I think that we talked, I, I don't know if I talked about this. I mean, but if not, bam, here we go. Um, is an incident that happened in the UK. So the Hackney Council, and I would say Hackney, I thought about that. Maybe it's a county, like the American equivalent would be a county. I think so. I think so. The Hackney Council published a report on March 14th that described an incident that happened in 2020 where a student named Child Q, this this child wish and her family wish for her to stay unnamed, who is a 15-year-old black student, was strip searched while she was on her period over the suspicion brought on by her teacher that she was in possession of marijuana because the teacher thought she thought the girl smelled like marijuana. So she called the police and the police insisted on doing a strip search and a body cavity search. And in the body cavity search, she was forced to open up her butt cheeks and cough to make sure like, Oh God, which are like, and those are things that you do when like you're admitted into a prison thing. Like, and we're going to get to that. It's not okay. Like not okay. But this is happening in her in her scholastic setting where she attends school because her teacher thought that she smelled like marijuana and thought she was in possession of marijuana. The parent of the child was not notified by the school, and so they didn't even get permission to complete the search, so they violated her rights. And because she's a minor, then they violated her mother's rights because her mother is in charge of her. What a disaster. Um... And the girl was then sent back to class to finish her exam. Then she was sent home in a taxi when then she talked to her mother and alerted her mother to what happened at school. So the school didn't, they just fucking like traumatized her, harmed her forever. Like, how do you really recover from something like that? Like, like, I don't know what I would do if that that happened to me. And so then the police response to, um, the incident that happened was the commissioner of the Met Police, the Metropolitan Police, Chris Chrisetta, Chris Chrisetta. I, oh, I think it's Chris Chrisetta Dick, Chrisetta Dick. That is interesting. Uh, stated that the Met is not, listen to this, institutionally racist, despite a slew of racist incidents involving police officers. For example, last year uh, a woman was killed um, by a police officer, and they were sending like awful messages to one another about the incident and that sounds like some shit that would happen here in america which i i also want to i like if america's going to hell which we fully are like if there's a hell we're there then so is the uk they're just as grimy in their racism just as bad the stuff that's happening here you have to imagine is happening there 10 times as worse like come on they're the mother of white supremacy colonization imperialism like all of that like that's them so you know it has to be bad over there and we're gonna get into also why it's bad but let me yeah I can't believe that anyways she's the former commissioner I think she was asked to step down um (laughs) and so this is in her comment where they're saying it's not institutionally racist is upheld by the Sewell report commissioned by the government and published a year ago which claims that institutional right in rate uh racism in Britain did not exist. It's not present. It's not something that happens within those walls and within those borders, which that's crazy when you think about it, because what's currently like, we know, like, if you hear that your immediate reaction is to say, that's laughable. That's funny, right? Like you're telling a joke, hearty, heart, heart. Like that's not true. So even what's going on in in the current media day is just even more to prove. So this is my story within a story. And I want to talk about this. So, this is underneath the point that 
the UK is not institutionally racist. Okay, so bam. William and Kate, they're going on a Caribbean tour. Think to yourself, what's the problem with that? That's kind of weird, right? Mm -hmm. Why do you still have colonies? That's weird. That's some slave type shit, right? Okay. So they're going on a Caribbean tour. So their first stop was in Belize, and they were supposed to stop at a cacao farm, but they, the people there boycotted that shit, and they were like, we don't want you here, so they had to cancel that. They've also been sent a letter by the head of state of Jamaica, or the Jamaica. I, I don't know who in Jamaica, but somebody important in Jamaica. <laughs> that they don't want them to show up. They said, don't come on your Caribbean tour. Um, and... On Twitter, they're talking about, too, like, for example, even though Jamaica is a colony of, okay, so it's not a colony, it is a commonwealth realm. And of the 14 commonwealth realms that the UK, Great Britain has, 11 of those are either black or indigenous. So you have, oh God, you have Australia, and I, I, so I would say that's indigenous, the Bahamas, Bar, Black, Barbados, Belize, I don't, I don't know about Belize, I think indigenous, I think, with a mix of black, I don't know, Grenada, Jamaica, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, St. Christopher Nevis, St. Lucia, and Tuvalu, and for example, like, she's the queen of these places, so I just clicked on, so they have, they have a website on the, the royal, web, they have a royal website where they talk about all the dominions that she has, and it looks like this is bad. I don't know. I think I'm kind of shocked because not that I, they're just taught to us. Like if you think about history, they're taught to us rel- as relics of the past. Like these are things that happened in the past. And then you look and you, f- you see like, no, this is still to this day. You have a, a colony essentially, and you've colonized these spaces have benefited and profited off of extracting resource. And we don't even, we don't even touch India. We haven't even touched Africa extracting resources from these places um, to grow your nation's wealth, um, harm these places, have profited from transloading slave trade. Like, it's bad. Like, this is all bad. So I just think it's laughable that they say that they're not institutionally racist. It's crazy. Like, so she's on coins. She's on stamps. She plays an important symbolic role. I wonder what it says for Jamaica. Because... That was awful Jamaican accent. I need to stop with the accents. I'm not good. Um, <laughs> because um, they asked them, they asked the royal family, don't come. Oh, so she's actually the queen of Jamaica. That is crazy. That's wild as hell. Yeah, I can understand why they're mad. They said, niggas, don't you come. Like, don't you show up here. And I'm 100% on their side. Um, and if I did want to go on some little lore that I saw on Twitter, they talked about too, like how Jamaicans, um, in Barbados, how do you say Barbados, Barbados? I don't know, but you know what I'm talking about. People from Barbados, um, and a lot of Caribbean nations actually helped to, fu- to found the NHS, the National Health Service, because after World War II, 384,000 British soldiers had died. Uh, God, not me in my history bag, but yeah, 384,000 soldiers had died and they needed to replace their workforce. So they relied, I'm only going to list the black nations, whatever. They enlisted people from the British Guiana, Barbados, Jamaica, Trinidad, Ghana, Nigeria, and Singapore, um, to kind of help fill in their workforce. 
and they actually directly recruited from the Caribbean by sending marketing materials. I don't know what they would call it back then. They, um, they call it marketing materials, but essentially that to board this, this uh, boat called the Windrush and go to uh, the UK for work opportunities. Um, and hence the Windrush generation, which that's also interesting because um, the, the Windrush generation um, came to the UK between 19... 1948 and 1971 ish uh, that those dates uh, is what I'm gleaning um, uh, to work over here and of course they experienced racism but then because they weren't actually issued any papers of like citizenship like they um, they could only settle in the UK with a work per- a work permit and proof of a parent or grandparent being born in the UK because that was a part of the, like being the Windrush generation that your parents, like they came over here and they helped, uh, they helped kind of rebuild the economy so that they, they then became citizens. They didn't, or they didn't have to leave. They were permitted to stay. Not that they became citizens. They were permitted to stay. Um, and in 2020 or not in 2010, um, the home office destroyed the landing cards belonging to the Windrush migrants, proving line- like proving your lineage that you could live here, work here, etc. Um, and so then Theresa May was like, okay, who are these people? Why are they here? We're going to deport them. They have no proof of living here. They couldn't prove their uh, citizenship. Uh, so they were being threatened to be refused like NHS, NHS services if they couldn't prove that they were allowed to live here. They were actually being threatened with deportation. So I'm like something that they helped to, f- to found to help staff, they're now being denied access to and they're totally need to get the fuck ASAP. Like that's awful. Um, so Teresa May did eventually apologize and they were supposed to be compensated. Never got, co- never got their reparations. Bitches want to be stingy about reparations. Always never got their reparations. So, and that's literally only the, like, kind of the Caribbean history. Um, so, and I know for a fact that there's more trauma out there, but it's just crazy that you would say, like, you're an institution, you're institutionally not racist when you're currently dealing with kind of all the harm that you've caused and you're, or to, like, the Commonwealth realms that you have in the Caribbean that you want to go and then kind of be pressed that, like, bitches don't want you there. Like, stay your ass in the UK. Like, yeah, stop doing that. But anyways, that's kind of some of the, that's my story within a story. Ow. That's my story within a story. So back to this story. Um, yeah, so as a result of the Hackney Report, which the Hackney Council Report was done by an independent group and company, um, and this, the Seawell report was commissioned by the government. So you can see kind of, and in the Hackney report, they said, this is because we believe that this is because of racial bias, which I think that that's a really big deal for them to say that. Um, and there is the, the reaction from the people has been like an outcry for black women and black people in the UK, rightfully so as a result of the publication of this report. And there's also been some nodes of like, biracial women making this movement about them, the marching for black kids, not black little girls. Some of the same things that I think would take place in the, in the U S as well. Um, but I bring up the story because I think there's multiple themes that I would really like to discuss when talking about this. I'm going to try to group them up into multiple so we can really hit on all the points. 
But one thing I really want to talk about is how the people who are slated to help us can actually be some of our worst enemies and causing the most harm. Um, and it, it, this is coming from, I'm going to bring, I'm going to bring up this book a lot. It was really transformational prisons by any other name where she talks about the prison nation. The prison nation is an extension of the prison industrial complex. So it's not just you living behind bars or it's not just you being like in a jail cell and, you know, in a somewhere else place. Prisons have become house arrest, your own home. Prisons have become constant policing, your own neighborhood. Prisons has become, you know, state outpatient treatment facilities. Uh, prisons have become, uh, or police have become social workers and mandated reporters. Like this is what this book really discusses. And I think that that's really important. So, you know, the systems and the places that are slated to help us can actually be the ones who are harming us. Schools are supposed to be the place where you can receive care, support, belief, and you could be entering into a prison system. Like that's wild. Um, it's fucks police always. <laughs> Uh, but it just goes to show that there's a global cry for police brutality and the, what police are really protecting, which are the systems in place. Um, you know, talking about the ways in which black girls are particularly criminalized within the school system, how they're seen from others from the moment they're born, not seen as humans with these stereotypes that relate back to slave narratives of how we're seen, which is always present to today. Um, colorism does play a part in the criminalization of black girls and women in general. And then lastly, we want to talk about, I want to talk, I want to talk about sexual state sanctioned, sexual state sanctioned violence for black people. Okay. That was a tricky one, but also too, I want to highlight that there before I jump into like what, the themes I want to talk about, I did want to talk about how a lot of themes are interconnected between the U.S. and the U.K. Like, for example, when I studied abroad, I worked at this nonprofit, uh, and it was called Prisoner's Advice Service. And the name is pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, they gave advice to pe people who were uh, incarcerated on their case. They weren't very nice, though, so yeah there's that um like if I was in that situation I don't want somebody to talk to me nice like you know they were kind of like mean um but when you look at the statistics of the the amount of black people in prison in the UK it's all it's also the same they are the most imprisoned people in the UK um so there's very there's similarities in between that there's similarities I I really encourage like people to read uh why I'm no longer talking to race talking to white people about race um because she also talks about too like they had this case uh, I and I know I'm gonna botch it but it, it was it was very similar to like a George Floyd type of thing like their martyred case of like this is not okay like they of course it's nuanced and it's not particular like it's not the same situations copy paste but you can clearly see the similarities of um, white supremacy and kind of how the systems are not designed for us. And they kind of manifest themselves in the same way because we kind of have the same systems, low-key, minus um, universal health care. <laughs> so, yeah. And also, too, um, to highlight why I think um, race can be different in the spaces, Jane Elliott did the blue eyes, brown eyes experiment. Um, and... I I can't, it's basically asking like, do you prefer blue eyes or brown eyes? And the questioning essentially leads to this, this like important question of 
I know I'm fucking this up. I'm so sorry. Please look it up. It's actually really impactful. You should watch the video. And basically the last question is like, would you want to be black today? No, like basically, would you want to be black person knowing how black people are treated? And none of the white people raised their hand. And then she's like, duh, because you know how black people are treated are bad. Like, right. Good point, sis. Like, very true. So she's the one who does that experiment. And she did the experiment in the UK um, with 30 British volunteers. And I think you should look it up. It's like some of the things they said. Like, for example, they were calling biracial children half-caste children. Half-caste. Like a caste system. Like, in terms of racial ranking and hierarchy. Racial caste. Half-caste children. That's crazy as hell. Then... uh, one guy saying he said because he was like, well, we're, we're not allowed to say certain like these words. And he says a word he's not allowed to say. He goes, he said to me, it's not offensive to you. Like, that's hella crazy a way to not take accountability. And then this woman and apparently the Twitter sphere is saying she's a teacher. She says, oh, like I and she's also one who says half cash. Like I have these half cash children in my class and this girl, she has beautiful skin alluding to she's a black girl she has beautiful skin and she falls and she scrapes her face like right you know near her eye and underneath her skin is pink I didn't know your skin could be pink underneath like I didn't and I'm like bitch you're crazy you're crazy like you put you set this on camera and get you this is on this is living out here forever you really said that but that type of like racism like yeah I don't know like that's some crazy shit and I mean Racism here, to me personally, to me personally, it's kind of dumb racism. It's not clever. It's not smart. It's dumb as hell. Like, I'm like, what the fuck are you saying? You sound super stupid. Um, but to me, I'm like, that's like, when you say like, I didn't know your skin could be, but they're probably, people are probably thinking that here too. So I don't fucking know. It's all bad. It's bad in the UK. It's bad here. Okay. So let's, so that was just like, and apparently, and apparently, like, the UK was so bad in terms of, like, her doing this experiment. She stopped doing tours and, like, and stopped doing these experiments. And she's been doing this forever. So, and that's that's Twitter lore. I don't know if that, that's true. But that's what Twitter is saying. But if that's the case, I'm like, damn, they must have really fucking scarred you. So, that's to say, too, like, I imagine I'm not just saying that this happens in the U.S. because I can imagine and I thir- and I believe a thousand percent that this happens over there, and if that's the case, like, bitch, global uprise, global uprise, global uprise. I'm just saying. Okay, so let's t- let's a let's set the scene to lovers ripped at the seams. Let's set the scene for <laughs> let's set the scene for how does criminalization manifest itself. So it can manifest itself in the school-to-prison pipeline, um, as an example. And the school-to-prison pipeline is, well, any this pipeline that we're talking about is a system that has failed you and has inched you closer to having an experience with a prison nation. And all of those like little things that I talked about, like uh, state uh, inpatient facilities, um, social work, like social workers, uh, probation, all of those things, they belong within the prison nation. Um, one of those failed systems being schools. And, and the failure can exist in a multitude of ways. It can be inadequate resources in public schools, overcrowded classrooms, a lack of qualified teachers, uh, and insufficient funding for extra, such as counselors, special education services, and even textbooks. This is all coming from the ACLU. 
bow. I think so. I think that's the acronym. Um, and it locks students into a second-rate edu- educational environment. And like I said earlier, in prisons by other name, they call an educational wasteland, which I think is like the most apt way I've ever heard that to be described because it is a wasteland. They don't really care what's happening. They don't really care what happens to these kids. Like, they don't believe in their success. They don't want to invest in these kids. Um, and I also, I highly recommend that y'all get into Nicole Hannah-Jones. Yes, the 1619 Project. But also, she has some really profound articles on, like, whether to send her daughter to a segregated or integrated school and kind of, like, traversing the education system in New York. I think, And I think it's such a profound article. She came to speak when I was in college, and I, I like, really loved having the ability to listen to her speak. Even, and I didn't even know what the fuck she was saying at the time. Now I know, but back then I didn't know. Um, and But even though there's under there's a lack of funding, there's always money for school police officers because the natural American response is if there's trouble or, or any type of perceived disobedience, let's give police more money and the ability to surveil and you know bring law and order. Oh, God. Um and because they're not meeting kids' educational needs in a myriad of ways, kids become disengaged, they become dropouts, they're even encouraged to become dropouts sometimes. Um, they just lose interest because you're, they're not being engaged, you're not being invested in, and, and kids can tell, kids know what's going on. And I need to get this, the course list for my professor because it was also a really poignant documentary too that talks about this. You have zero tolerance policies, and zero tolerance policies are a form of discipline that have premeditated consequences, consequences and responses to perceived misbehavior. So, for example, like if you were talking with somebody else who's talking, that's perceived misbehavior. Uh, you could be kicked out of the classroom for that. Like those types of zero tolerance policies, like because you have zero tolerance, you're not willing to be patient, engage with the student, talk to them, see what's going on. None of that. Um, instead of taking or instead of talking, to, yeah, instead of talking to the child, understanding perspective, putting your needs first, the most common types of zero tolerance policies are in-school suspensions and expulsions. And we're going to get into, I'm speaking generally, but we're going to get into the ways in which these things affect black girls particularly. Then you have police officers in schools, which that's just weird as hell. So behaviors such as being late to school uh, were once considered school infractions, but now increasingly are subject to arrest and citations. You're getting a police citation for being late to school. Um, and the thing is, like, if you have a police officer in school, an arrest is, are, is more likely to happen just due to the fact that they're present in that school. But there could be no... There's no crimes happening in school that I think has warrant warrants the arresting of a child. And it follows the same logic as over policing it over policing, let's say a black neighborhood. Of course, if you're looking at someone t- someone 15 million times harder, you're going to find somebody slipping. But the thing is white neighborhoods, white school like what well, White schools are not surveilled, but Parklands now does have a school resource officer because there's gun control. So there's also that facet, but we're not discussing that. We're on this facet. Um, (laughs) um, But if you're looking at someone 15 million times harder, yeah, you're going to find somebody slipping because you're not looking at anybody where else you're looking to incriminate these people, but we're incriminating children. So let's say you're talking in class. When you really think about that, that's crazy as fuck. You're a kid. You're a kid. Like, you're going to do kid shit. Kids are going to be kids. Like, like that's dumb as hell. But 
No one ever said they were smart. Um, and police officers in school are just seen as a problem solver to issues where there's no crime involved. So it's kind of weird. Like they're looking for someone to enforce the rules. Um, but they're, they're like, I just believe that there has to be a better way to do that. So how does it manifest itself for black girls? So when we're talking about zero tolerance policies, how it manifests itself for black girls is so here's a statistic. They make up 16% of the population in schools, but are overrepresented in a myriad of categories. For example, 42% of girls receiving are receiving corporal punishment. 42% of girls um, with or without uh, educational services. 40% of girls with at least one out-of-school suspension. 31% of girls are f- referred to law enforcement. And 34% of girls arrested on campus. That is crazy. So I actually want to talk about some stories, and I encourage you to please go look at the videos. Um, there is a video of a little black girl, I believe her to be six, being arrested for having a temper tantrum. She had a temper tantrum, so the teacher called the police. Instead of what? Okay, think to yourself. I'm going to give you some time. Think to yourself. What would you do if a kid had a temper tantrum? I'm going to share my answer, and you say yours to yourself. Okay, so my answer would be I would try to calm her down, see what's going on, see how I can help her, help her talk out her feelings. If she needs some time by herself to be calm, recollect herself, that's fine. If she wants to join the class, she can rejoin the class. But I will really just follow her lead. Like, I want to know. If you're you're having a temper temper tantrum, I want to know what's going on. That would be my response. Now, you say your response to yourself. Okay, that's weird as hell. Like, it's weird as hell. Why are you... And they put her in a zip tie hang. Like, that's weird as hell. You're arresting a six-year-old? And as a police officer, are you crazy? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, that's weird. Um... And there's an example of a black girl who was sitting in class and she was kind of having an argument with a teacher. So the teacher called the school resource officer and he hemmed her up and slammed her down on her desk. Oh, cause she didn't want to get off her phone. That is crazy as hell. Like you're not there to slam kids down. Like you're supposed to keep, no, they're not, it doesn't even matter. There should be no police officers in school, but like you're there to harm black, like you're there to harm and police black girls, like a jobs, like a police officer's job is to just police people and be on people's fucking ass like no purpose and these statistics just show that black girls are experiencing the brunt of zero zero tolerance policies so now we're going to get into how black girls are seen and we're going to talk about the adultification of black girls this is a new york times article also fuck new york times because every good article is behind a paywall and i don't like that okay so the adultification of black girls or adultification by definition is a form of dehumanization robbing black children of the very essence of what makes childhood distinct from all other developmental periods innocence adultification contributes to a false narrative that black youth transgressions are intentional and malicious instead of the result of immature decision making a key characteristic of childhood totally agree with that totally agree totally agree totally agree period um And how this manifests itself for black girls is teachers, law enforcement officials, and even parents view black girls as less innocent and more adult-like than their white peers. The perspective often categorizes black girls as disruptive and malicious for age-appropriate behaviors. In addition to that, it can show up in dress code policy enforcement because black girls are unfairly targeted for that. Um, from example, from the hair to their bodies to their attire has the potential to be penalized. Uh, there's a story of like a black girl 
the same white girl was wearing like some short shorts, but because her shorts made her look more adult like, she was sent home and she had to change. It's not fair. You can't police people's bodies. That's not right. I mean, you can't, but people do. That's not the point. Um here's a statistic. Only 20% of female pre- preschoolers were black, but the black girls made up 54% of female preschool children with one or more suspensions. What the hell is a preschooler doing to get suspended? They're a little kid. Like there's a story uh, in one of the articles about how this little girl threw a basketball and it hit somebody's head. So she got in school suspension or she got uh, a suspension for that because she was being violent. And then when she wanted to go to a different school, she couldn't because she had that on her record. That's weird as hell. They're literally kids. Kids um, make mistakes. I'm actually thinking back to one point. I got an in-school suspension because this girl kicked me. So I kicked her back and I got an in-school suspension or I got suspension. And I think I was like in kindergarten or first grade. Like that's hella weird. Like stop doing that shit. Um, also like within the black community. So think about parents, they call little girls fast or suggesting that they want to be grown when I think that their kids just naturally mimic what they see, which is a childlike behavior, um, or they deserve whatever consequences they face for their choices. Um, it ages them and robs them from their, it robs them of their innocence. Um, and also if you think about too, like on your report card or feedback from teachers at parent teacher conferences, for example, her grades are good, but she's disruptive in class or she's a t- intentionally challenging my authority. I don't think any kid could be intentionally doing something. They're a child. They don't know any better. Like they are learning, right? Like it, it's some weird shit. And then in the case of child Q, there's state sanctioned sexual violence. Um, and Angela Davis talks about this in, in her book, our prison obsolete. And it talks about, you know, the strip search and the body cavity search. It says, as activists, and I'm going to read directly from her book because nobody says it better than Queen Angela Davis. As activists and prisoners themselves have painted out, the state itself is directly implicated in the routinization of sexual abuse, um, both in permitting sex, such conditions that render women vulnerable to explicit sexual coercion carried out by guards and other prison staff, and by incorporating into routine policy such practices as the strip search and the body cavity search. Australian lawyer activist Amanda George has pointed out that the acknowledgement that sexual assault does occur in institutions for people with intellectual disabilities, prisons, psychiatric hospitals, youth training, police stations, usually centers around criminal acts of rape and sexual assault by individuals employed in those institutions. Sorry. These offenses, though they are not, they are rarely reported, are commonly understood as being crimes for which the, invi- in, for which the individual and not the state is responsible. At the same time as the state deplores unlawful sexual assaults by its employees, it actually uses sexual assault as a means of control. She basically then goes on to say to that point that um, if they were out, like, for example, if those police officers who did what they did to child Q were outside of their uniform, uh, the crime, but because they are in their, their uniforms, they are on the job and they're carrying out the whims of the state. They're, they're granted immunity for whatever things that they tried, they attempt to do that are inappropriate. For example, like, um, if a police officer killed somebody unlawfully, but they felt threatened, they would just be doing their job. I mean, but then if they're outside of uniform, they would probably just be doing their job. Think George Zimmerman, like some weirdo type shit. So, um, yeah, it's, it's state sanction, it's state sanctioned sexual violence, um, because they did a body cavity search, making her hold her butt cheeks open to cough. That's weird as hell. And they did a strip search 
and she didn't consent to any of it based on a suspicion with no actual evidence, no proof, just because someone thought, oh God, like, I don't, I don't get it. Um, and you, in the body cavity search and the strip search particularly happens uh, throughout, let's say, your prison stay, but also it, at, at the moment of your entry into prison, they do a, a strip search and a body cavity search. That is inappropriate. They're not consenting to that. That, that. That's their body. They have a choice. And ultimately, the whole argument is that prisons are obsolete. That's Angela Davis's whole argument. Prisons are obsolete. But I'm just going to show, like, this is something that's happening in prisons that are happening to our children wrong what happened to her and I also think too that prisons should be abolished and that's a whole other that's like a whole topic in itself and then I'm gonna talk a little bit about colorism too the statistics show that uh, African-American girls with the darkest skin tones were three times more likely to be suspended from school than African-American girls with light with lighter skin tones. This is also a trend that's present for prison sentencing. Researchers have found that darker skin women are sentenced to about 12% more time in prison than lighter skin women. Um, they also discovered that lighter skin women have the advantage of spending 11% less time in prison than darker skin women. So you also have colorism that's present in the criminalization of black girls and who was criminalized. So there's also some nuance to that. That is intense. And then lastly, I want to talk about how the people who are slated to help us can actually be some of our worst enemies and cause the most harm. So, for example, in this case of Child Q, it was her teacher who set her up for failure. Like, it was the teacher who thought she was not abiding or following whatever law, whatever she thought was going on in her head um, and set her up to and then called the police to unleash harm on her. And when you think about like zero tolerance policies or some of the, the things in which we criminalize kids with within schools, it's up to the school personnel and the teacher's discretion. If they view something as disrespect, it will be seen as disrespect. They can give you a detention. They can give you some type of punishment. And if we know that everyone has implicit bias and we acknowledge that people um, who are non-black have a, this implicit bias of anti-blackness towards black towards black people, black little girls, um, then they can act, they can absolutely be agents of criminalizing and actively pushing kids into the school to prison pipeline. Like that's why um, that book is called Push Out. It's because you're pushing, these are all these different factors, including people who can be pushing kids into the prison system. Um, and if we have this general understanding that yes, we do adultify black girls and we don't believe they they deserve, they don't get innocence at first glance, then yes, absolutely. Teachers can definitely be agents of this. And like I said, an educator can make or break a child's educational experience. But for black girls, it's especially true. So imagine a teacher giving you a strike for being disrespectful you and you don't feel as though you're being disrespectful because also, yeah, I've been caught up in this where someone said, and I'm arguing back with a teacher and you're not supposed to argue, but don't be dumb then, bitch. And I wouldn't have to argue. Like that's, and I could still say, <laughs> I could still say that as an adult. I think some teachers have power trips because I think that we, this is all in the landscape too of that. I don't think we respect children at all. We don't respect the insight that children have to offer, uh, that they can also be, you know, 
they can communicate their wants and their desires and what they need. Um, and we don't trust that. And we speak for kids and we speak for what we think kids want. So I also think too, a lot of this and in those interactions, like these teachers or school personnel may not respect these kids, their, their point of view, their perspective and engage in like really negative dialogue with them and then blame them. They're a kid. They don't know any better. Like at the end of the day too, they're children. Like, okay. So a child wants to argue with you. It's a child. Like it's a kid. You're an adult get a grip, get perspective. Um, and I'm, this is my last quote from uh, prisons by any other name, but the author says not all prisons have, uh, steals, not all police carry guns and not all punishments are called punishments. Sometimes the police are called social workers and sometimes the punishment is called care. And I'm adapting this to talk about teachers and school personnel, including the case of child cue, because for example, a teacher can be an active participant in policing your body, your existence and your behaviors without understanding and criminalizing you and sending you up to be pushed out. And I'm not, I am not saying all teachers are like this. I don't think that that's the case, but there are, there are experiences and there are instances where this has, has happened and black girls have been targeted and thus pushed into the prison system. Um, and once you're pushed into the prison system, you just lose access to the job market, how stable housing, employment, like all of these things, you lose access to that qualifying for social welfare. Um, and so what happened in school could be linked to greater outside help that you might need and you may not be able to get. Yeah, it can just it can affect your access to the quality of life that you could have um, because there's a, it's a, a school system that is. It's not there to teach you. It's not there to help you. It's not there to uplift you. Yeah, I, um, that was a spiel. Let me tell you, I didn't know if I was going to make it through, but thank you for listening. Um, like I said, I think I'm going to post some, the, I'm not, I don't know how to post the, like the resources that I use to make it look cute. So I don't know, maybe Maybe I'll update my website and I'll actually put them on my website uh, for the people who really give a fuck. Uh, I highly doubt anybody does so. Um, but yeah, I just want to say thank you for listening. If you're looking for, I'm going to put the books of, or the names of the books in my description so people can reach out and like read and figure out because I think it's an important conversation, especially because i know this is corny but the kids are our future and i want the kids to be all right like i want the kids to be feeling safe i want the kids to feel empowered and educated i want the black girls if you're a black girl if you're a black girl i want you to feel educated i want you to feel empowered i want you to feel like there's a system there to help you and empower you and believe in you because you can do it like and that bothers me that this is how you're treated at, at such a young age and you don't even know any like you don't know any better you're a little child so yeah Thank you for listening and I'll see you on the next episode.